read a story this week about a poor widow lady. She lived next door to a widowed old man. Uh, she was a sweet, tender-hearted lady, and he was one of those grumpy old men. Uh, she was a believer, and so every time that she got a chance, she would try to share with her neighbor uh, the love of Jesus. There would be things that he would share with her, and she would just reply, well, I'm praying about it. I'll be praying about it. I'll, I'll pray for that. And so she was often sharing about her, her prayer life, and, and he would oftentimes walk by and because of the close proximity of their houses or because she was spending time on the porch praying, he would often overhear her praying. One day she, he walked by and he was in the front yard working and was walking by her house and she was on the porch and she he heard her praying that praying and asking God to supply her with bread. And he thought, oh, this is going to be funny. So he got the little neighbor kid to come over and he had the neighbor kid bring and go buy a loaf of bread. So the neighbor kid went and bought a loaf of bread and he challenged the little kid to climb up on her roof and drop that loaf of bread in the chimney and just see what happens. And so the little boy climbed up on the roof and he dropped that loaf of bread through the chimney and almost instantaneously, this old widow woman comes running out of the house and she's so excited about what God has provided for her. And he, she yells, see, uh, I was praying that God would provide bread and look what he has supplied. And the old grumpy widow man began laughing. And he said, God didn't provide that. I gave that to you. That's from me. That wasn't God. And she said, God may have used you to supply it, but God gave it to you. <laughs> I was thinking about that story as I was looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 6 through 15. We have been making our way through chapter 8 and chapter 9 and chapter 8 and chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians have been sharing with us about giving and Paul was challenging the church of Corinth in the area of giving. And here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 6 through 15, uh, Paul shares with the people of Corinth Six principles for giving. And so we're going to walk through these principles and look at these principles and kind of glean, if you will, from these principles. Open your Bibles this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Hopefully as we're at chapter 9, your Bible is starting to fall open naturally to 2 Corinthians. Mine still seems to be falling open to Genesis, but that's a different story. Verse 6 is this of 2 Corinthians 9. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest for your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, 
which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in any many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Great God in heaven, we're thankful for today, thankful for the fact that you are the great God in heaven, that there is no other. And Lord, as we open your word this morning, we pray that your word would be open to us, open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us. I pray, Lord, that as we gather this morning, that we will hear from you, not the ramblings of some man, but that we will hear from you. So take my mind and my heart and my tongue, and Lord, allow me to share what you'd have us to hear, nothing more, but certainly nothing less either. Lord, we just pray your blessing upon your word this morning. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Now, as we dive into this passage, I was trying to look at different ways for us to kind of unpack this and, and kind of see what is in this for us. And, and, and I don't know if this is the best way for us to do it, but this is the way we're going to do it today. So I've picked out these principles that are here for us to look at. And so as we look at these principles, there's six of them for us to see. Principle number one is sowing and reaping are connected. Principle number two, God loves a cheerful giver. Principle number three, God provides the gift. Principle number four, through generosity, God gets the glory or God is glorified. Principle five, generosity is evidence of salvation. Principle number six, our generosity does not compare. So that's what we're going to use this morning to kind of head us through this. These are our six headings that we're going to look at. And because we're six headings, normally I do three headings and we last an hour. So six headings will be two hours. So we should be out of here by 1.30, 2 o'clock. Okay? So this is what we want to look at this morning. And the first principle we want to see in this principle list is the principle that sowing and reaping are connected. Look at verse 6 with me. It says, the point is this. I love this phrase. When I was in high school and we had English class, we had to read, read a book, and we would always have to say, "This share with me what the plot is. Share with me what the theme is. And so I love the cliff notes because it would say, this is the plot, this is the theme. Easy peasy, right? This is what Paul is doing for us, for all of us English students that didn't do very well in English. He's saying, hey, this is my point. He's making his point very clear for us so that we understand what he's, been, what he's talking about here. Now, he says that whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So Paul basically uses a farming illustration here. That's what he uses is this farming illustration. And this farming illustration, this thought of reaping and sowing, is a very simple illustration for us. And even if we're not farmers, we understand this illustration. One does not sow sparingly and expect to have a bountiful crop. 
We, we know how that works. But when we plant more, we are going to reap more. I remember some people in our church, uh, I won't share his name, but it was Edsel Demerit. He would tell me that he wasn't going to plant a very big garden this year. And I would go out there and he would still have his acre by two acre by three acre plot measured out with all of the seeds filled in everywhere. And I never did share with him this plot, this, this principle, because we got to reap part of his harvest because he would, I've given it to the kids and they blocked me out of the house. Here's all the leftover zucchini and tomatoes. Uh, but the more we plant, the more we're going to reap. And that's this, this basic principle here. And that's what, that's what Paul is sharing here. Now, as we think about this, I, I think it's important that we just kind of pause for a second. And I want to share with you just a word of caution. This verse and this passage is a passage and it is a verse that's often taken out of context. As we think about this verse, the, the word faith movement or the health and wealth gospel often uses this verse and they encourage people to sow seeds of faith. And what they tell you is if you contribute to their program or you contribute to their ministry, whatever you have in your wallet, if you would send that to us, God will bless you that much more in tenfold. And they'll, they'll quote this verse and they'll say this verse. Uh, they, they promise that if a believer gives generously and, and faithfully to their ministry, that they will reap a harvest of material wealth. And unfortunately, there are a lot of ministries that kind of make that claim. And it's a sure way to get rich. And that's what they proclaim it at. But this promise is not that God will reward gener gener generous givers so that you can consume it on your own desires. That is not what this is promising at all. So don't, don't for a minute think that that's what this is talking about. Uh, and Paul uh, shares this principle, sowing and reaping uh, are connected, but I think it's important that we realize that that's not what this is talking about, that, that the more we give, the more we can spend on our own selfish interests. Uh, it's important that we recognize that as we think about this. Now, the next thing that he shares is in verse 7, and this is our second principle. God loves a cheerful giver. He says in verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So Paul says that we are to decide, one is to decide in his own heart. This has to be what you decide. And I think this is a good reminder for us that giving is not something that's to be done spontaneously or casually or carelessly. Uh, it is to be done with some thought. It's not an afterthought process. It's not a without thought process. It's something to be done with some thought, with some planning, with some thinking. Uh, it's thought out and it's a prayed out action. Sometimes we could play music and make you feel really emotional and we could just continue to, to pass the offering plate around, make you feel guilty, make you feel compelled. Uh, but that's not what Paul is talking about here. This is to be a thought out process. And in fact, he says there, 
uh, decide in his heart, not reluctantly. So it's not to be given with an attitude of regret when we when we give something. You know, sometimes we can go uh, to our favorite shopping store. My wife's favorite place is Cabela's. And we hang out in there in Cabela's and, and she doesn't really want to spend the money on that new gun. But, you know, as we talk about it, we buy that new gun for her and we leave with that gun. And, and she's kind of reluctant about spending that much money on her. And, you know, I just say, honey, it, it, it's okay. We'll We'll share it in both of us. It's just better that way. Okay? But but there's that reluctantly reluctancy of, of spending that kind of money. Uh, and, and this is not what this is talking about. When we give to the Lord, it's not something that should be done reluctantly. Oh man, I just I don't know about giving that much. I don't know about it's not to be done that way. Uh, it's it's not to be done. It's not to be done under compulsion. So playing new mood music and lowering the lights and you know smoke screens and all of that is not to be done to com- to compel you to give. That's he says not with compulsion. Sometimes this is the idea of external pressure uh, and having external pressure. And sometimes external pressure can can cause us to give. And, and that's not what he's supposed to do. Giving is not supposed to be something that's done with external pressure. Uh, it's, it, and as we think about this, giving is to be done uh, without that compulsion. Remember 1 Corinthians 16, I think we've looked at it just about every week. The 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1 and 2, Paul told the people of Corinth, give before I get there. Because I want it to be all finished. I don't want you to give under compulsion because I'm there. You feel like you have to give. I want it to be done before I get there so that this giving can be from the heart because God likes a cheerful giver. Now he says, give what you decide. And I think it's important that we think about this, that we give what we decide. I think it's important that we remember principle one, sowing and reaping are connected. But I think it also we need to remind ourselves that God loves a cheerful giver. And so as we give, we need to give in such a way that we feel like that's what God would have us to do. Not more, not less, giving as we are, have been given to us, but that's the principle here, is that God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, giving is something that should come from the inside. It's not an exterior pressure, but it should be something that's done from the heart. Uh, the Greek word that's used here, being a cheerful giver, The Greek word is where we get our English word hilarious. And so it carries this idea of God loving a joyful giver, of loving a joyful giver, loving someone who delights in giving. Someone who delights in giving. Have you ever given to somebody something and you've just kind of been excited about being able to give to them? I mean, I think about our kids at Christmas and uh, as we as we give those gifts to our kids, we're kind of excited to see how they'll react. Now we're extremely disappointed when they throw the gift away and they play with just the box. But yeah, there's kind of excitement there when we give that gift. That's this picture of, of joyful giving, is being excited, having pleasure uh, in giving, uh, realizing that God has blessed you and you are participating in blessing someone else, uh, is that thought here. God looks to the heart. 
God looks to the heart and God sees our motives. God knows what our motives are. And so it's important that we have that, the motives that are right. And so this connection in our giving is what's so important. We need to make sure that we're here with God, seeking, uh, pleasing God if, as we give and not grudgingly. So that's the second principle. God loves a cheerful giver. The third principle is God provides the gift. Look at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now, giving, as we think about natural mathematics, we would think that giving would actually cause a person to have less. But as we look at this, we see that God actually takes care of us. God provides for us and takes care of us as we give. He makes sure that we can give. It is a matter of trusting God. I remember when Darcy and I sat in our marital counseling seminar, and I was, the pastor was speaking, and I was, we've been here for at least seven minutes and we're not done yet. You know, and just, and one of the things that he walked us through was money management. And I thought it was such a ridiculous thing that he would tell us about that. And, and as he told us about it, I knew it was because he was a pastor and he was wanting us to give to his church. I knew that was the reason. I knew that was his angle. I could see it in his eyes. I knew that was his angle. But one of the things he challenged us with was, was giving, giving to God first. And he says, as you give to God first, it's amazing how God will take care of you and you won't notice it. And I thought, sure, whatever, whatever. This is for you. But then as Darcy and I got started in life, I was amazed at how that principle worked. That when we gave to God, that God took care of us. When we were open with what we had been given and we recognized that God was generous to us, and as we gave that way, that God took care of us. And it was amazing to me how that worked. And, you know, we really struggled with it prior to me going to work for Schwann's. But when I went to work for Schwann's, we got paid on Monday. Every Monday that check was in our bank. And so we just started saying, okay, I know this is, this is what we're going to write it for because I'm getting paid tomorrow. And we began that practice. And we found that when we gave that away, that God took care of us in that process. And it was not an easy thing to learn. We didn't learn it right away, but it was a process for us to learn. Now, notice what it says in verse 9. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now, I have to confess to you that this took me a little bit longer to look at than what I thought it was going to. Paul quotes Psalm 112, verse 9 here. This is a quotation from Psalms 112. And, and this psalm is speaking about gifts being given to the poor and giving gifts to the poor. And notice what it says. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now, the act of giving doesn't gain us righteousness. Our righteousness is given to us from Christ, right? But as we give, 
there are eternal rewards for that giving. Remember Matthew 6.19? It says this. Matthew 6.19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. We're to store up our treasures in heaven. Not here on earth, but in heaven. And as we, as we give, as God gives us the gifts to give, and as we give those things, it, our righteousness endures. Those gifts carry on. It's not just for the temporary, not just for the here and now, but there's a future benefit to that as well. There's a, there's a temporal benefit, but there's also a future benefit to that as well. Now look at verse 10. It says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. God is the one who supplies the seed for sowing. He's the one who supplies the bread for food, but he's also the one that supplies the seed for sowing. God will supply more seed for more sowing. Notice it says, he will supply and multiply your seed for your own selfish spending. No, for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So as we give, as we give, God blesses that. God increases that gift. There's temporal blessing and there's eternal blessing. Uh, but as we give, God gives us opportunity to give more. Oftentimes, we hear about George Mueller. Have you guys heard about George Mueller? George Mueller had an orphanage in England. And George Mueller didn't ask anybody for any funding. He just prayed about it. Anytime there was a need, he prayed. And God would provide needs of those orphanages. And as he started, it was just started as a small orphanage, and pretty soon there were three buildings of orphans that he had. But as God provided, George Mueller kept taking those funds and kept giving those funds, uh, putting them in the orphanage, giving them to other ministries. But God just continued to pour those funds into the ministry that George Mueller was a part of. But those funds just kept going out. Those funds kept being given out. God was glorified through that ministry. But God continued to provide seed for sowing, and more and more seed went out, and, and God was uh, blessed as a result of that. God blessed as a result of that giving that was taken that took place. Now, as we think about this, this is, again, not an opportunity for us to bargain with God. God, if you would increase my seed, then I will increase my, and once you increase the seed, then I will increase the soul. This is not an opportunity for us to bargain with God. Some people share that, hey, this is what we can do. But this is not what this is speaking about. God provides the gift. And as we uh, determine, as we see what God would have us to give, we can look to God and trust in God. And as more seed comes in, we can continue to sow more and more seed. Now notice the fourth principle. Through generosity, God is glorified. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. 
So again, we see that God enriches in every way. God is the one who provides. 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 There we go. God provides. The more God provides, the more people can be generous. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving. So as God provides, the more God provides, the more people can be generous. Okay? Now notice that generosity produces thanksgiving, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. The more God provides, the more people can be generous. And as this generosity comes, it produces thanksgiving to God. Two birds with one stone. The saints are provided for, and God is glorified. As people are generous with God, as God receives the thanksgiving. He's generous with what God has given, and God receives the thanksgiving. The needs of the saints are being supplied through this collection, and through the generosity of the saints, this collection is being given, and the result of that is thanksgiving to God. God is glorified. God, the thanksgiving goes to God. Now, through his generosity, through our generosity, through the generosity of God, you guys are way ahead of me. You were way behind me. Now you're way ahead of me. Principle number five. Generosity is evidence of salvation. Look at verse 13 with me. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. As a believer exercises generosity, their submission to the gospel is something that's seen. The confession of the gospel of Christ is something that's heard, but the submission is what is seen. Now, think about this for a minute. Remember, we just talked about this a few few Wednesday nights ago. Remember Zacchaeus, the tax collector? Remember he's a wee little lad and couldn't see because he's a wee little lad. So what did he do? Climbed up a sycamore. We can't just say that, can we? We've got to say it. But he climbed up a sycamore tree. And remember what Jesus said to him? Come down from there because it's to your house I go, to your house I go. It's hard not to sing it, doesn't it? So he goes to the house. Zacchaeus meets with Jesus right there. And Zacchaeus shared with Jesus that he would give half of his goods to the poor. Jesus told Zacchaeus that salvation has come to your house today. And Zacchaeus said that half of my gifts are going to go to the poor. His giving to the poor is not what provided him his salvation. 
His salvation came as a result of that. He was willing to give to the poor. Because before that, Zacchaeus held on to that. He wanted more, just one more dollar. But then after that, he was willing to give. Now look at the people of Corinth. Their lives have been changed, and this collection has taken place. And now they're going to be sending this gift to the Jews. The Jews, as they receive this gift, are going to recognize there's been a heart change here. There's been a change of heart. The salvation has truly come to the Gentiles. Their giving didn't save them, but it was evidence of their salvation. As we think about, as followers of Christ, our ultimate goal is to glorify God. And as we give to God, as we give, God receives that thanksgiving, God receives that glory. And we've accomplished that. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. When generosity is seen, thanksgiving is given to God. And as a result of that thanksgiving being given to God, God is glorified. Now notice verse 14. It says, While they long for you, and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. As the people of Corinth were helping the saints of Jerusalem, the people of Jerusalem were praying for the people of Corinth. Jews praying for Gentiles. This wasn't happening prior to the gift. But as a result of the gift, there's prayer that's there. As a result of the gift, there's unity there. As a result of the gift, there's seeing each other as one in the family of Christ. Hey, you guys are believers. There is something different about you. As a result of that, there's unity here. Generosity is evidence of salvation. But you know, as we come to the end of this passage, we're reminded that our generosity does not even compare with the generosity that's been shown to us. Look at verse 15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This word for inexpressible means impossible to describe adequately. It means beyond description. It means too intense. It means extreme. It means too extraordinary for description. Have you ever had those things where you see where it's too extraordinary for description? Uh, I had someone tell me one time that pictures of Niagara Falls don't do it justice. Darcy and I threw our kids in the van and we drove to Niagara Falls. And I remember driving, and, and I've seen the Colorado River, and I've seen the Colorado River at its biggest point where it's full of water. And looking at the Colorado River, it's a good-sized river. Then I drove over the Mississippi River. The Mississippi's a little bigger than the Colorado. I think that's why it has all the S's, just <laughs> because. And so I remember driving over the Mississippi River for the first time, 
and I was going, I was candidating at a church in Michigan and drove over. <laughs> and so I can remember just taking that in and just going, wow, this is amazing. So when we got to the river that was leading to Niagara Falls, it wasn't moving very fast. And it wasn't really a ginormous river. I mean, I've seen the Mississippi. I've seen the Colorado. Not, not real impressive. So not real impressed. So we pulled up and I could see all of the parking. We came in on the Canadian side before we didn't care about immigrants. Uh, and so we're, on, the, we're on, the, on the Canada side and we're pulling up in the parking lot is like full. And so I've got to park clear on the edge of the parking lot. And so I parked, and you can't see the falls from where we parked, but you can see signs that it was there. And we got out of the van, and just as we were opening the doors, you can hear that water rushing. And I'm like, this is impressive. Because <laughs> I've heard waterfalls before. And no one ever told me that the sound of Niagara Falls is impressive. No one ever told me that. And then we walked to it and we looked at it and it's inexpressible. Uh, it's hard for you. Pictures do not do it justice. And the thing that kept going through my mind, why would anybody get in a barrel? <laughs> That's a long ways down. That's a lot of water coming over that hill at all at one time. Uh, and fish don't even go off. There's no salmon swimming up there. Why would you do it in a barrel? But I had people tell me that pictures do not do justice. And that is correct. But Paul says, the gift that's been given to us is inexpressible. Pictures. Empty crosses on the wall do not do justice. Because it's beyond description. It's, it's inexpressible. Of course, this inexpressible gift is none other than Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world, He gave the inexpressible gift. And that is Jesus Christ. Now think about this for a minute. At the end of two chapters on giving, how do you bring that to an end? How do you come to the end of two chapters of giving? Today's day and age, we may put at the bottom, hey, there's a tax, tax exemption. For all of your giving, there's a tax exemption. But Paul doesn't do that. He gives us two chapters about giving. And then he reminds us of what we've been given. The inexpressible gift of salvation. That's his closing sentence. That's how he concludes this is that this inexpressible gift has been given to us. And then what does he say? Thanks be to God. Because what else can you say when you are approached about the inexpressible gift? Thanks be to God. 
That's it. There's no other response. Because it's an inexpressible gift. Jesus Christ is the basis for Christian giving. Our giving is an expression of the gratitude of what we have been given. Thanks. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. So, we look at the principles. Sowing and reaping are connected. God loves a cheerful giver. God provides the gift. Through generosity, God is glorified. Generosity is evidence of our salvation. And our generosity does not compare. So, what do we take home from this? I mean, what do we apply to our lives? I think the first thing that we've got to think about, and I think the first question we've each got to answer, is the question, have you received the inexpressible gift from God? You see, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, it doesn't really matter how much you give or how much you don't give. It, it has no bearing on you. Because of our sin nature, we are born separated from God. We're hopeless and helpless. And until we recognize the gift of Jesus Christ, God sending his son to live a perfect life for us and to die as a perfect sacrifice for us to forgive our sin debt, until we recognize that that's the indescribable gift that's been given to us, the inexpressible gift, then the rest of it does not matter. We need to make sure that we know that Jesus gave his life for us. And we need to receive that inexpressible gift. Because without that inexpressible gift, we're still hopeless and helpless. That's the first question we have to answer. And maybe you're here today and you've never received that free gift. I want to encourage you and double dog dare you. Receive that gift today. Don't let another day go by with that gift just laying under the tree unaccepted. How is your generosity? As you think about these things here, how is your generosity? Are you a cheerful giver? Or are you a reluctant giver? Are you a cheerful giver or are you a reluctant giver? I think there have been times in my life where I've been both. But I think the reason in my life for the both was just an unwillingness to recognize that everything I have that God has given to me I think sometimes we think about giving and, and desire to give, but but because of maybe the way we handle our finances, maybe that makes it difficult for us to give. And I think there's a decision that needs to be made, and I don't think it's one that we can take lightly, but I think it's one that we need to spend time alone with God, seeking God's wisdom. Don't take my word for it. This is something that you have to do along with God and seek God's wisdom in that. 
And as you seek God's wisdom, as you seek God's guidance, then I think that you can come to that point of being a cheerful giver rather than a reluctant giver. But that is uh, an amazing thing when that switch switches over. And then I think as we think about being a cheerful giver, I think there's a question that we have to answer. So are we willing to trust God in the area of our finances? Sometimes it's a lot easier to trust God in other areas and finances sometimes is an area that's hard to trust God. Are we willing to trust God in the area of finances?